Well, uh, do me a favor and uh, turn with me. Oh, geez. That's funny. That's funny. Funny jokes in our family. <laughs> I'm like, where is the Bible? <laughs> turn with me to uh, Revelation chapter 5. As I try not to touch my glasses because I was with my brother this weekend, and he was just flaming me about how much I touch my glasses, but my glasses are loose, so I, what, what can I do? I mean, so I'm going to try not to touch my glasses, but anyway, uh, the things that brothers say, right? So hopefully um, when you meet him, you'll tell him to cool it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so here we are. We're in chapter 5. Now, we started this by telling you that there are several um, uh, views uh, with respect to the book of Revelation. You've found yourself in a church that believes in the futuristic view or the future view, uh, and uh, this church and the leaders of the church uh, uh, believe in a, uh, you know, a literal uh, millennial reign of Jesus Christ, and before that millennial reign, he is going to come back in his second coming. But before that, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture that precedes the um, uh, seven-year period of tribulation. So, here's the uh, mini-outline of uh, end times. We are now in the church age. We are in the church age currently, and at any time, we believe uh, the rapture can happen, 1 Thessalonians 4, where we're caught up in the air uh, with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're changed at a twinkling of an eye. And at that point, you get to see, and we'll talk about why that is, uh, you get to see in the book of Revelation what we're doing in heaven. Our seven-year honeymoon, so to speak, we talked about that last week, with the Lord while the tribulation is happening here on earth, while God's pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world and dealing with the nation of Israel during that seven-year period of tribulation. And at the end of that time, Jesus Christ is going to come back with his saints to rule and reign. And he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And at the end of a thousand years, a lot of things happen, but... Uh, uh, what we know from uh, the book of Revelation, that, that we, uh, uh, this world uh, uh, is burnt up and uh, is rolled up, and uh, uh, we uh, then see a new heaven and a new earth. So we've been seeing that by uh, looking at the divine outline. What do you mean the divine outline? Well, in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, it's very important that you know the 19th verse. The 19th verse of chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. John says, or Jesus says to John, write the things which you have seen. What's that? That's chapter 1. What has John seen? He's seen in chapter 1 the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. And we went through that. Uh, then he says, uh, write, uh, write the things which you have seen. And then secondly, the things which are. What are the things which are in the divine outline? Well, the things which are are the church age, chapters 2 and 3. Chapters 2 and 3, his letters to the seven churches. They are to seven real churches that existed at the time. We talked about this. And so these letters applied to those churches, but they apply to all churches that are part of the body of Christ for all time. You can learn from them as a church. You can also learn from them personally, but they also, most people believe, represent a period of time 
in church history, and we went through all of those. Well, what's the last thing in the divine outline? Chapter 1, verse 19. And he says, and then write the things which will take place after this. Now, that's fascinating because in the Greek, that phrase after this is metatalta. Why am I telling you that? Because when you turn over to chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, after the church age, we uh, see the throne room of heaven. That's what we did the last time I was here. And it said, uh, that uh, verse 1 there opens up, after these things. Guess what that phrase is in the Greek? Metatauda. Metatauda. After what things? After the church age. After the church age, I looked, and behold, a door standing open, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking, said, come up here, and I'll show you the things which much take place, look at this, after this, again, metatauda, after this, after the church age. So in uh, chapters 4 and 5, we get a peek into heaven about what uh, the redeemed will be doing, what we will be doing uh, during the seven-year period of tribulation. Isn't that beautiful? Everybody tracking with me? I hope I explained that well and uh, set that forward for you. So last week uh, when we uh, opened up, uh, we talked about the, the, the story Donald Barnhouse tells about how uh, uh, this is sort of like so overwhelming for John. It's sort of like a child on Christmas morning as they descend the stairs and they see the lights and they see the trees and they see the presents, but they can only kind of focus on one of the glories. And so they go over and they look, oh, what beautiful lights, Mom and Dad. Oh, it's so beautiful. And then, oh, then, the, then, then maybe the, the presents catch their eye. And then up on the mantle, maybe the mantle's decorated or the stockings or whatever it is. And, and, and so they're, they're, they're captured by different things because it's so overwhelming, it's hard to take in for a little one uh, all at once. And that's how uh, Barnhouse describes chapters 4 and 5. And remember what John's eye, or what caught John's eye in chapter 4, do you remember this, was the throne of God, the throne of God, and we went uh, at length about what was before the throne, etc. Now we come to chapter 5, and it says this, uh, the word of the Lord, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne." He took the scroll uh, of him who sat on the throne, and that when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. 
And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and, as, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Wow. Well, Lord, we need your help just to understand and to take this in. And, Lord, we need uh, help uh, by your Spirit. But, Lord, may we um, seek these things out for more than just information about the intricacies of the book of Revelation, but that we would discover you in a new, in a great, deep way, a fresh way, Lord, uh, as you've revealed yourself here uh, and uh, the uh, final program of the earth. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you've uh, done this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So now as we get to uh, this next section, see, uh, uh, John's eyes, thoughts had focused on the throne of God and those sorts of things. And we uh, talked about that, and I want you to see that uh, they sang these living creatures who we talked about last time I was here, these seraphim, these angels, these messenger, and the 24 elders, which represent the church, the people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel, and the, uh, the 12 apostles. So they represent the church, the full body of the church. They fell down before him who sits on the throne, God, and worshiped him who lives forever, ever, and cast their crowns, that's in uh, chapter 4, before the throne, saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor power. And look why they um, worshiped him. Look why they said he was worthy, because of his ability to create for you created all things, and by your will they exist and created. And now John's emphasis or focus or eyes or heart takes a new turn. He sees in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. And that's the new focus. That's where John now is plugged in. There's something about the scroll that's caught his eye. What I suggest to you is that it was in the right hand of God. What does that mean? The powerful position of God at his right hand, right? Correct? So uh, something about this, the power and the majesty, this scroll that sat in the right hand of him who sat on the throne was this scroll. And then the writer tells you something that's uh, fascinating for you and fascinating for me. It was written inside and on the back. And it was sealed with seven seals. You see, the reason he's telling you that is, is because it was unusual in the ways in which the ancients or the people of this time used these scrolls to write on the back. Why? 
because we're talking about a parchment, an 8 by 10 parchment uh, connected to a wooden scroll type thing. You'd hold it in your left hand, you'd unroll it here with your right hand, and mostly, uh, most of the time, uh, if you were just writing a a sort of a book or uh, if you were writing a letter, you would write on the papyrus that was in the front or looking right at you. Why? Because it was smooth. The back of it was rough. You wouldn't write on that. So when you were unrolling it, you were reading the smooth uh, bits of paper. And the other uh, books, apparently, of the Bible were written on these sorts of things. In fact, if you go to Israel, if we, Lord willing, get to Israel, and we're uh, hopefully going to go in March now, uh, uh, when you go to Israel, you'll go into the uh, museum right there in Jerusalem that houses the book of Isaiah the scrolls of Isaiah, and you'll see like this parchment, and it unrolled, and the writings of Isaiah, it's amazing, right? But so uh, anyway, uh, a scroll usually had, uh, was written on the front side, on the smooth side, but this tells you that it was written on the back, and also that there were seven seals. So what is this scroll? Well, there's a lot of theories about what this scroll was, a lot of theories about what this scroll was. Many believe that, that this scroll, and I would say most believe that this scroll was, in essence, a title deed to the earth. What do you mean, title deed to the earth? Well, you know this, the earth belonged to God, of course, by creation. He created it. The earth is the Lord's, right? It tells us in Psalm 24. But, of course, God created man and gave him a dominion over the earth, right? And so, in a sense, he transferred that uh, to, the, to, to, to man or to humans, right? God created and said, you can have dominion over the fish and the fowl. You know that story in Genesis 1.26. Uh, you can read about that. But what happened when Adam sinned, when Adam rebelled? What happened? In a sense, he turned the earth over to Satan when he disobeyed God and obeyed the suggestions of Satan, in a sense, You know, we talked about it last week on Sunday in 1 John. The Bible tells us not to love the world and those things in it, and we learn that uh, the prince of the uh, the air, Satan himself, has a sway over the world, that worldly system, this system in a sense. And he, Jesus himself called him uh, the prince of this earth. We know that, right? So in a sense, uh, Satan rules, has uh, uh, influence over this world. And so uh, many people believe that what this scroll is, is the um, a title deed to the earth, that Jesus is going to come and to um, uh, take this scroll out of the hand of God and have it be returned um, uh, to Jesus, its rightful owner. Maybe, maybe. What? Okay, I thought somebody said no. I, I said, wait a second, no, okay. <laughs> okay. But also here, seven seals. Seven seals. Uh, many uh, times, uh, or many historians have found or, or, or a few historians have found many Roman wills that were uh, bound up by seven seals, uh, each seal representing one witness, and that the only person who was able to open the seal are the ones who would inherit uh, from uh, the will. Now, that's an interesting concept. Look with me back to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 
if, uh, for Bible students, is a very important psalm to know. A very important psalm to know. It's a messianic psalm uh, right there at the beginning and uh, really important to know and to understand. And there's this interesting uh, verse here in chapter 8 where it says this, Psalm 2, verse 8, Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And this is, again, the, the Messiah's triumph and his kingdom. And God here is giving over to uh, uh, this one, the Messiah, the nations for his inheritance. It's his inheritance. Also, you know this, in Hebrews, it just says that Jesus is the heir of all things. The heir of all things. Well, uh, there's another thing that you probably need to know. There's a lot of principles of the Old Testament that, are, that, that you can glean with respect to this scroll. Do you know that in Leviticus 25, oh, what a book. Oh, what a book. You should really study and love the book of Leviticus. No kidding. I'm telling you, the principles of the gospel explode out of that book. And there's this one funny uh, little chapter or little piece of a chapter in Leviticus 25 that talks about in Israel how God set this up. He set up uh, uh, property to revert back to its rightful owner or its, to its beginning owner. Did you know that? Uh, and every 50 years was called the year of ju Jubilee, and debts were uh, wiped out, and property would revert. But in the meantime, in the meantime, if I sold a property to Cade over here, right? If I sold a property to Cade over here, uh, guess what I could do? I could give him the deed on a scroll. But guess what they would do oftentimes? Check this out. On the back of the scroll, they would write the requirements for me to redeem that property back from Cade because God set it up in his, his uh, economy that he wanted uh, property to revert back to its rightful owner. This is also fascinating. Track with me here. If I'm getting uh, in the weeds, raise your hand and I'll try to get us back on course. Uh, so what would happen here is uh, God had this right of redemption for property be, uh, uh, based in the law, Right? But oftentimes, if I sold my property to Cade and I wanted to uh, uh, redeem that property, well, I hadn't uh, gained any more station economically in life, and I couldn't meet the, uh, uh, the requirements that were written on the back of the deed. Well, guess what I could have happen? I could have a kinsman redeemer come and help me buy that back. Now, who, who, who would be the kinsman redeemer? Somebody that was related to me. Somebody that was, oh, is this beautiful, able to do it, and somebody that was willing. That's what it says. And you know the beautiful story of Ruth. You see the kinsman redeemer there in Ruth as protect, protector and provider, but also in the area of commerce and property, they would have the kinsman redeemer. And he could do that. And you could look that up in Leviticus 25. Whichever way this is, look at this. Uh, you have uh, the kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, who willingly, listen to this, would give his life to set us free from bondage and sin, this bondage and sin, and to restore our lost inheritance, dominion over the earth. You get it? You see it? 
You see it here? If you believe it's the will, catch this, the will of God, the will of God is that God would give to Jesus this scroll and his will would play out for the ages. So you see it? Uh, what, I, what I want you to see is this uh, these image here of this scroll evokes an image from both the Jewish history and the Roman history. Are you catching it? So that all the world could identify with what's happening right here. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll evoking all these images of this title deed to the earth being uh, uh, returned to its rightful owner, the will of God being given to the one who could actually execute and pull off what God's program is going to be. So he gives him this scroll, which was written inside and on the back, and sealed with seven seals. Now, you know this, right? As this scroll is unwound, we're uh, going to get uh, to the seventh seal, and at the seventh seal, it's going to open up seven trumpet judgments. You understand that? And when we get to the seventh trumpet judgment, it's, it's going to open up seven bowl judgments. And that's going to be during the time of the tribulation period. But we're not there yet. You know where we are? You're looking at your future if you're found in Christ. Here it is. This is your future. This is John being told by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we'll see that in a minute. By Jesus himself, the Spirit of Christ, he's telling you what's going to happen in heaven while you're on that seven-year period honeymoon before you come back to rule and reign. And this is it. And this is your future. So he says, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll inside and back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Who's that angel? Don't know. It's uh, uh, the same word is used in, uh, I think, Revelation 10 and Revelation 18 to talk about a mighty angel. Some have said that the name Gabriel means mighty. You can look that up for yourself. No one really knows exactly who this angel is, but he had to be a strong angel because he needed to proclaim loudly for all to hear who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. Who is worthy? Why do we sing these songs? Why did Andrew Peterson write, is that who wrote that? Wrote that song. Who is worthy? Is that who wrote that? But anyway, uh, why? Why? Who is worthy? Why is he saying that? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look at it. To look at it. They couldn't even look at it. They had no authority. They had no power. They were not the ones who were uh, the heir, H-E-I-R. And so uh, they weren't worthy to open it. So look at this. John, we're going to talk about this last if I don't talk about this last, somebody raise your hand and remind me. John wept much. He blubbered. He cried. He just lost it. Why? Because maybe he knew that this was the mystery for him for all the ages. He was anticipating seeing God's program, a title deed, a will that uh, has been given to the, uh, or has been offered there that sits in the right hand uh, of the Father and no one is found worthy and so he cries. And he's the pastor. Are you catching it? He's the pastor. 
He's the pastor to those churches. He's the one. He's the, uh, the apostle of love. And so what we're going to talk about at the end is what happens when you don't get your way. What happens when you don't get your way? Well, he wept much, and look, and re- uh, uh, that no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or even to look at it. But look, I want you to see half the battle of learning the Bible is just figuring out who the players are. One of the elders, <laughs> the leaders, one of the people of God said to the pastor, hold on here. He didn't say that, but he says, one of the elders said to me, hey, don't weep. Look, look at the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look at the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now turn with me to Genesis. We've been doing all that one-day reading. We've been checking off day by day as we go. And uh, we should remember what we read in Genesis 49. It's really important. It's really important. Go there. Genesis 49, I think it's verse 10. Yeah, Genesis 49, when uh, Jacob, or Israel, called his sons together, he gave them a blessing, the 12 sons of Israel. And the, one of the blessings in chapter 10 was to Judah, the scepter shall not depart, the kingdom, the ruling. He, this is, the, this is the, the line from which the ruler is going to come nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. You see, he uh, was given, uh, the, or this family was given the right to have uh, uh, the one who would rule over Israel. So he's, don't weep, the elder says. Look at the lion of the tribe of Judah. You could also look in Isaiah 31.4 and Hosea 11.10 for references to the lion of the tribe of Judah. Remember, Judah's uh, emblem, banner, was the lion. But he's also the root of David. Don't weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Don't just see what you want to see or to ignore those parts of the Bible that you want to ignore. Jesus is both the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he's also from the root of David. And in here in a minute, we're going to see he's the lamb who was slain. And here it says he's the root of David. Now, turn over to Isaiah 11. Boy, the Old Testament has a way of showing up everywhere. And here, Isaiah 11. Uh, you know it. You're, it's very familiar to you, uh, right? You know in verse 1 it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Have you ever considered what he's saying here? He's saying that the Messiah will come from the line of Jesse, who's out of David, but also he's the root of Jesse, the line of David. In other words, he's the reason there is a line of David. In other words, he's eternal. He didn't just come as a branch from the line of Jesse, but he was there and actually the one that every one of them grew out of. You understand what I'm saying? Remember uh, 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 that they couldn't understand, the Pharisees couldn't understand uh, how David could be uh, called the Messiah, uh, both 
his Lord and be his Lord. Remember that part? Well, this is why, because this one who John is being asked to look at by the elder is both the lion of the tribe of Judah. What does lion evoke? Terror. But if you're on the side of the lion, victory. If you're on the side of the lion, you can stand behind and know that you're going to be protected and that it's going to be okay because the king, the king, the awesome one is in front of you and moving out and no one can harm you. But also, he wants you to take a look and remember that this is from the root of David, not just the branch of David. He was the root. He, he, he came from David, but he was before David. You see what I'm trying to say? I'm not saying it very artfully, which speaks of his eternality. The one that I want you to look at is eternal. He comes from the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he's also from the root of David. And for those who would read this, they would know power and strength, and eternal. He's never not existed. He's always been the first and the last. You see, the one who is sitting on the throne is God. The one that John is told to behold is eternal. In other words, he's God. And he says, look at him from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And this one, this one, catch it, has prevailed. Go over to verse 21 of chapter 3. Why could this one, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, why could he open the scroll? Because he's prevailed. Or another word that they used is he's overcome. Because look in verse 21 of chapter 3. To him who overcomes. How did Jesus overcome? Oh my goodness. I've, I was taught so differently than this. None of you, I, I don't know, can understand the depths that this hits me. Because I was taught that true power was how much you could get it over on somebody. That's what I was taught. And here we see the one who can overcome true power is through, oh my, submission. Submission, Jesus Christ submitted to the will of the Father. I only do that which you tell me to do. Uh, I put aside my rights to my privileges of deity to become a man. I didn't consider it robbery to be uh, uh, equal with God. I'm talking uh, Philippians 2. But I put that aside so that I would go to the cross doing the will of the Father. That's how... Jesus overcome. Are you catching it? <laughs> he overcome, overcame at the cross, and he grants to sit with me on my throne. Uh, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father. So see, he overcame, and he's now asking you to overcome, and the way in which we overcome is that we're found in Christ. Get it? So you go back, so you know who this is. Don't weep, behold, which is fascinating, the elder tells the pastor. <laughs> Don't weep, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, strength, courage, adventure, safety, protection, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah and the eternal one that was proclaimed by God to come through that line to never uh, have a, a scepter taken away from that line. He's the eternal one. He prevailed and he could now open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. All authority and power and honor and glory and his heirship, H-E-I-R. I don't even know if that's a word, but you get what I'm saying. He was the heir this is the one, the only one, the only one, the only one, look at this, who could undo that scroll which tells, catch it, time, which prophesies. And there's only one, folks, who can prophesy, and that's God himself. And he opens the scroll to tell what the entire program of God's going to be. And you're in heaven seeing this. Do you see the privilege you have as a believer? You're in heaven seeing this. And here it says, John looked and behold, in the midst of the throne. I want you to catch this. Some people describe it as concentric circles. And in the midst of that, right in the midst of the throne and of those four living creatures, those seraphim we talked about when I was here last, and in the midst of of the elders, the, the body, the, uh, the, the church, the body, stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Catch this now. I want you to see. Have you ever considered this? The elder says, please, quit crying. He doesn't say it that way, but you get what I mean. He says, quit crying. You will quit crying if you'll look at the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is the root of David. If you'll look, you'll stop crying. And then I put in my Bible, what kind of game is this? Because when he looked, guess what he saw? Not a lion. He saw a lamb. He saw a lamb. And behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, I looked, and behold, in there, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain. A lamb. You can, look at this. Just catch this. If you are uh, believe in a futuristic view and you believe in this divine outline, chapters 6 through 19, folks, chapters 6 through 19, we're going to see, is God pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. Chapters 6 through 19, halfway through 19, God's going, or Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign with his saints. But judge, so, so in other words, look, next chapter, next Wednesday, if the Lord doesn't come back first, we're going to be studying about the wrath and judgment of God. But I want you to see something. It's administered and unrolled by the Lamb who actually took the judgment of God upon himself. And people say, well, you know, God's a God of anger and wrath. Well, he is, but he's giving us every chance now. In fact, we read, didn't we, at the, uh, in 1 Peter, God's not slack concerning his promises, or in Peter, 
God's not slack concerning his promises. And then it goes on to talk about how scoffers are saying he's not going to come. He, it's been so many years and all of that sort of thing. And he says, the reason that God is waiting is for the sake of salvation. Why is God waiting? Why doesn't he come and put everything right? Is because he wants people to come. And here we see, he says, look at the lion for the tribe of Judah. See, the Lord is coming in judgment and power. He is coming a second time in judgment and power. He is going to pour out before he comes back the wrath of God. But the scroll, look at this, is unwrapped by the one who took the judgment himself. He's saying, everybody, come, please come. Oh, that we would have this heart. That we wouldn't waste it here these weeks. Oh, yes, there's COVID and masks to distract us and divide us. We can get so distracted and divided. And the heart of God is that people would come and surrender their lives to him and be right here at this time in chapter 5. So here, here's this lamb. It had been slain. Now, if you think this is literal, this would be pretty grotesque. So this is probably symbolic right here, having seven horns. What does horns speak of? It speaks of power. It speaks of perfect power because it was seven horns. Whatever it was about this lamb who was slain, there was perfect power. Omnipotence. What else? Well, it had seven eyes. Whatever there was about this lamb that was slain, there was perfect knowledge and perfect wisdom. In other words, omniscience. And what else about this one? And there's the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Remember, the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit is set forth in Isaiah 11.2. And so if this is the Holy Spirit in a sense, guess what? Here's God's perfect presence. He's everywhere. See, these are the characteristics of God. So God sits on the throne. Uh, he asks John uh, to take a look. Look at the lion of the tribe of Judah and the uh, uh, stem of Jesse. Look at that. Or the root of, root of David. Sorry, the root of David. And then he says, uh, as he turns to look, there is the lamb that was slain, and there was something about it. I don't know if John could accurately describe it. He'd never seen anything like this before. It was uh, amazing. He, he, it's perfect power, perfect knowledge, and perfect presence, omni of all of those. In other words, that one is God too. One God and three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And here we see a lamb as though it had been slain, seven horns, seven eyes, seven spirits of God. Then he came. Here it is. This is like the crescendo of the Bible. And then he comes. And he takes it. And he takes it. The scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. His character, his ability, his sweetness, his mercy, his grace, his love, all these things were perfectly demonstrated and achieved at the cross and resurrection. And because of all of that, that submission, which is powerful in meekness, he's the one who's able to take 
the scroll, and there's only one. And I know we have rights. We slam our fists down and we tell people. But I got to tell you, folks, the gospel is about laying down our rights. Even when we're right. Here, uh, Jesus is the one who can come and take the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And even as we are talking about it tonight, even as we're talking about it tonight, as you're reading this and starting to uh, mull this over and understand it, what's happening to your heart? There's a crescendo. I can tell there's a crescendo uh, welling up in you, I think, of praise. You're just like, whoa, wait a second. And I'll be there? What a privilege. So naturally... This happens. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp. Music is so important in heaven. There's this thing. uh, When the Lord invades your heart, and you see the glories of the Lord, don't you? You just want to sing out. Uh, Somebody last night asked me, can we just have a time of praise and prayer here and uh, nothing else? I I knew why she was saying that. No, I'm kidding. But uh, (laughs) she was tired of the sermon. But anyway, uh, no, she wasn't. I'm kidding. Uh, But but see, so true. You, you, You just want to fall down before the Lamb, fall down. And with your music, with your voices, with the, the song that's welling up in your heart, you just want to bow at his feet, prostrate yourself, and just praise him. And so here, will we have a harp? I don't know. But I know this, you're going to have a song. And this is going to be a song you're never going to tire of singing. And he fell down before the Lamb, having a harp, and a golden bowls full of incense. What are these? Well, uh, you know this in Psalm 141.2, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifices. And the Bible oftentimes talks about prayers uh, being signified by incense, lifting themselves up to God. I just wanted you to see something. There's something about prayer and praise that goes goes together and is heavenly. In fact, God, I think, see, he remembers and records our prayers in heaven. What do you mean? You remember this. Remember when John the Baptist was being born? His dad, Zacharias, it's his big week. Finally, he's going to get his time to go serve in the temple. And you know this. He goes in there and what does the angel say to him because they couldn't have kids? What, do you, what does the angel say to him? You see, but later on in the chapter, you learn that he and his wife had basically given up. You know what the angel says to him? Oh, folks, hang in there. You know what he says to him? He says, your prayer was heard. Your prayer was heard. It had been a long time. You might have even given up. But God was acting upon the prayer that they prayed years before. And here we see that these prayers are important in heaven. The the singing is important, but the prayers of the saint. By the way, Jesus taught us, remember? My kingdom come. 
Thy will be done. Check it out. It's coming to fruition right here. The kingdom is coming. And here you have the bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, folks, let's not confuse something. There's one mediator between God and man. We don't pray to saints, but, saint, but, but saints' prayers are recorded in heaven. Big difference. Get it? So they sang a new song saying what? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God. How? How did he redeem us? By your blood. In other words, this is a song, a gospel song, a, a praise song, a, uh, a, a song that says you are worthy, ascribing worth, that's worship, over redemption, Why did I start you out in chapter 4? The first song we read about today was about creation. This song is about redemption. And you have redeemed us by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Americans don't have the corner on the gospel, the corner market. It's the gospel is for all the world. Remember this. He's redeemed us to God. It's fascinating. This will hopefully explode your heart. In Genesis 22, do you remember this? Isaac, uh, uh, or excuse me, Abraham went up and he, uh, uh, by the ram, by the sacrifice that God provided, how many people were saved? One, a son, right? How about this? Uh, When we get to Exodus, a whole family or whole families were preserved when the blood was passed over the door or put over the doorpost and then the angel of the Lord would pass over, right? Each family would have a Passover lamb. Remember that? How about in Isaiah 53, verse 8? It says, Israel is going to be uh, uh, receive redemption because of the suffering servant. And then in John, we learn, check it out, that we see or his, John the Baptist sees as he's coming down the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. And so you hear your heart just explodes because they're celebrating redemption. That thing where you've been bought back. Not only has he bought back or is buying back the title deed or the, the earth and the the kingdom uh, that's going to be set on the earth, but he's buying people back. He's bringing you back into the game or into the life in which you were always intended for. That's redemption. And redemption means, uh, you you know, I always say it. We we laugh about it over in the youth group, right? It's like a coupon. A coupon is no good unless it's being used. It's being put to the use that it was intended for, and that's redemption, you're being used for the purposes now in the blood, by the blood of Christ for what you were intended to be used for, all ablaze for God's glory. That's redemption. Okay, so you see that and you go, wow, and you've redeemed a God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us, look at this, kings and priests. We're kings because we come from his royal line. Not, right, because of the grace and mercy. And now we are royalty. We are part of a royal priesthood. What does it mean that we're priests to our God? It means that 
we're tr- uh, attempting uh, to reconcile people to God. But here's what we do. Jesus is the reconciler. Take the hand of man and the hand of God and puts them together by his blood. What do we do as priests? We just point people to Jesus. We want to bring people to God, of course, but we just point people to Jesus. So you're a king and a priest. And here it comes. How can we say that we're going to come back and rule and reign other than he's going to talk about it in Revelation 19? Well, here it is. And we shall reign on the earth. Now, there is uh, some... uh, 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 things that people debate here with respect to this. I just want to tell you because I want you to know it. Well, this couldn't be a redemption song for the four living creatures, angels. They're not redeemed. But you got to remember something. First Peter, I think it's chapter 1, I think it's verses 10 through 12, says, look at this, that the angels are peering over heaven watching for salvation among men and women. He doesn't say it that way, but that's what it's saying. And so maybe what's happening here, if they're singing, and I don't believe they are, I think only the 24 elders are singing, but if they are singing, what it could be is that they're interested in salvation, and they recognize redemption, not in themselves, but in the people. Get it? Okay, but I think they're not singing because I read down later and I said, look, and then I heard the voice of many angels. Now, some people could say, well, there were four living creatures and now there's many angels, maybe. Uh, But anyway, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, what do they say? They can sing this song. All of them can sing this song. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power. Here comes, catch it. Isn't this amazing? He's ascribing to him, guess how many attributes? Seven. To receive power. Why? Because he is powerful. And riches, because he is riches. And strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying this, every creature, I'm in heaven, you're in heaven, we're in heaven. This is telling you what you're going to be doing. I get it. People say, and it's a legitimate question, totally legitimate question. When I get there, am I going to see my cat? Or when I get there, am I going to see my friend, you know, Gertrude? And there will be time for that. I'm not saying there won't. You don't know less in heaven than you do here. There will be time for that. But you're going to be so preoccupied with the worship of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain, that whatever things are going on, that's going to be central. Oh, you will. I understand. You want to see people. I get it. Not knocking that. But I'm saying the centerpiece is Jesus He's in the midst of the throne. He's the one that catches your eye. And every creature which is in the heaven and earth, they were saying this, blessing and honor and glory and power, catch this now, be to him who sits on the throne. Who's that? That's God the Father. (laughs) Why am I bringing this out? Because there are groups that say that the lamb isn't deity. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. If Jesus isn't God, 
These people in heaven, which is you and me, are committing idolatry. You see it? We're committing the very thing that God told us not to do. Ascribing all the same things to the one who sits on the throne and to the uh, uh, lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, amen, agreed. And the 24 elders, catch what they did, they fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. And when we go back very quickly to 1 John, and we get to verse 22 of chapter 2 of 1 John. See, you can't worship Jesus the way you think Jesus ought to be worshiped. You and I need to worship Jesus in the way he's revealed in the Bible. You get me? And here it says, who is a liar but who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And we also could take you to John uh, chapter 12, 44 and 45, John 13, 20, John 14, 9. See, heaven's filled with people who worship the Lamb correctly. So I get it. We have friends. They're in this group and that group, and they come knocking on your doors, and they hand you literature. But it's a matter of life and death when people deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Well, here I said I'd finish with this. Here John is crying. It's a funny thing when we don't get our way or when we're fearful. Oh, they're legitimate tears. Jesus cried. He wept. He was hurting for his friends. He wept. I'm not saying don't ever cry. There's times to cry. Of course there are. But oftentimes when we don't understand the plan of God for our lives, even when we know God is good, what happens is is when we uh, get alone, we start thinking thoughts that God doesn't love us. And you could even be the pastor. Wink, wink. And it's beautiful when friends come around, when friends come around, ones who are mature in the faith, and they just say to us, hey, let's, let's take a time out. Let's not have fear ruin who we are. Let's not forget who we are because of the fear, or let's not forget who we are because God didn't want what you wanted for your life. Let's not forget that. Let's remember who God is, the elder does, says. He says, look, it's the one from the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one, the root of David, the stem of Jesse, or however you say that, the the one who's rooted in eternality, the one who reigns in power, the one who was slain before the foundation of the world. He's the one you serve, and he has all good plans and purposes for you, and you're seeing right here in chapter 4 and 5, This beautiful scene of all the praises that you'll be singing out as unto the Lord. So don't give up, God bless you, don't give up too early. 
There are a lot of people that flame out, however you want to say it, because God didn't do what they asked. When in reality, God has a plan and program that's far better, mind-blowing, than anything you could ever ask or think or even perceive. He set this out here for us for a whole time. Well, let's do this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you show us this, the scene in heaven. After these things, Lord, meditata, you give us this two chapters of what we'll be doing in heaven, seeing all these things come down, come about, setting us in a prostrate position, <laughs> setting us in that position on our faces before you, Just worshiping you, Lord. It is going to be so beautiful and so wonderful. We're thankful, Lord, that you tell the future. You tell us what our program is. And we're asking, Lord, that you would put these things down far into our hearts. Just root them down deep. Because, Lord, we have an amazing opportunity here with COVID to shine the brightest we've ever shown before because it's your light shining out to a scared, fearful, hurting world. Help us, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, and uh, have a great week, and uh, we will see you on Sunday, Lord willing. God bless you guys.